Well, I want to welcome you here, and we're glad you're a part of the service this morning. So what I wanted to do right off the bat is play a little game. If you would play this game with me, and some of you may be familiar with this. It's called Name That Tune. And I'd like for you to name that tune in three notes. That's all you get, and we'll let you do the first one. Beethoven's fifth, very good. Now let's see if you can get this one. Anybody know that one? YMCA, right? Have you ever been to a wedding and you've danced? Y, is it M or however you do that? M, M, there you go, okay. C, A, something, however it goes. Well, I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to do what I call name this book. Okay, the Bible, some, I knew that we'd go right away there. No, what I want you to do is name this book. If you were to give it the central message, what is the theme, the message that runs throughout this entire book, what would you name it? And I'm going to say, not in five words, or not in four words, or three, but two words. Think about it for a second. If you were to name it in two words, so think about that for a second, okay? You're better than the first group. They started yelling out names right away, and I said, this isn't participation yet. Last week, we began a series called The Word. We're going to continue in this series called The Word for the next few weeks. Pastor Michelle spoke about the reach of the Word. How even in Africa, the Word of God is not only changing lives, but now starting to build into these lives. And this week, what I want to do is just begin. If we're going to look at the book and we've heard about the reach of it, I want to just say, what's the message of this? And how can this central message bring about transformation in your life. So what are the two words that maybe you've thought of? Just throw them out. You've got to shout them out. God's redemption. Any others? Okay, what I heard there was, no, didn't hear. God's love, people say the truth. Some say Jesus Christ. Uh, one Old Testament professor I had in seminary said the main theme was the promise um, there's not a best, there's just maybe better kind of ideas, themes. But if I was to give this two words, I was to just say this, this whole book from the beginning page to the last page could be summed up with two words. I would use the words with God. This, this, is, this is the story, the message is with God. From the beginning to the end, it's all about the fact that you were created to live with God. You can see it all throughout the Bible. I, I could actually go through all the books of the Bible and I think show you this theme. In fact, I actually thought about doing that with an Old Testament, New Testament survey. How do they all fit so you can understand? From the beginning to the last pages, the Bible is about what I call the with God life. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have conspired together. They work together for one single purpose, and that is that you would be with God. That you would be in community with Him. And as you are in community with Him, you're in community with one another. It's like, like, like Jesus would say, or in First John, He'd say, you, you can't have you know, being with God and not without, and, and without others. It just doesn't happen. You see, when you face a challenge, God wants you to know He is with you. When you are anxious, He wants you to know that He cares about you. When you're tempted, he wants you to know that with a word like Jesus, you can overcome it. 
God is so incredible. The way He's designed us and the way you've been created is you've been designed to live with God. So when you've done wrong, He wants you basically to come to Him and, and admit it. When you've sinned, He just wants you, He doesn't want you to run and to hide, but He wants you just to get honest and real and repent and just go, here I am and, and, and let Him be with you in grace and mercy and understanding. You know what I think is interesting, too, is when you're running from him, it's, it's really interesting that God runs after you. Why would he run after you? He runs after you, it says in the word of God, because he wants to bring you back to be with him. All these images of God, when you think about it, when you obstinately refuse him, when you decide that I want to live the without God life. And you may have said at one point, I, I, I want to be with you, God. And now you're in a place right now where you're without God. He allows you to obstinately stand apart from him in order that his heart, his longing is that you will, like that prodigal son, come to your senses and want to be with God. Now, one of the difficulties with the Bible, when we come to the Bible, the word, is that when you read it, and the one that makes it difficult is it seems to be just a bunch of random stories, right? You know, what, how do these make sense? But if you begin to understand that the whole Bible is about being with God, and you begin to understand that's the central message, you begin to see how these random stories play together, and yet you'll find over time is that there's one big story. It's His story. And in His story, all these stories make sense. And all these stories that he puts in the Word of God is to help you to understand how you can be with God. So, the very first thing I want to do is just take a few minutes to, to help you understand this first point. To understand the Bible, the Word, you need to understand how your story fits into his story, which is all about the with God life. So I'm going to take just a few moments to run through the whole Bible, book by book. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to start with Genesis. You begin with Genesis and you have the creation, this paradise, and the universe is the most beautiful home for his children. He planned from eternity's past that you would spend it with him and it's a big family and you would be with God. And then all of a sudden, as Adam and Eve as are created at a certain point, you remember that musical um, music man, There's Trouble in River City? With a capital T that rhymes with P that stands for... Well, there's trouble in paradise with a capital T that rhymes with P that stands for pride. Adam and Eve in pride sin against God, against themselves and against one another. And in pride decide to live the without God life. And without God, they enter and allow for all this pride and sin and all the consequences to come into it. And brings all this stuff that we deal with as well. Because by nature, we all begin to. I mean, we had babies who were dedicated. One of the first things they do, it, it, life is all about who? Me. It's kind of that sense of it's all about me. And life is teaching a child how to grow up and mature. And what you see in this picture in Genesis is you see that as this has entered in, God has this incredible desire. His desire is to be with Adam and Eve. His desire is to be with you and me. His desire is that we be with God. And what I find is interesting is you can read the Bible in a different light. You can see in some ways God's anger. In some fact, I used to for a long time read this, and the primary thing I would see is the anger of God because they've chosen to mess up. Can you imagine? He messed up the, play, the, the 
paradise, the playground, the, 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 the park that God had made for them. And, and you can see, God, I can't believe you guys would do this. And he's angry and he, he just bans them from the garden and says, get out of the garden. Anybody read it that way? But l- listen to this. It says, and God, Lord God said, this man, the man has now become like one of us, the Trinity, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God, he banished him. He, he, he made them go out of the garden. Out of, you know, anger is for a moment and love for a lifetime. And so out of his anger, he doesn't want sin. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, I don't want you for the rest of your life to live without me. Because listen to what he says. So the Lord God, they, he removed them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been, they had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. It's like you get this picture. It could be like God's really angry. You know, stand there. Don't let those naughty kids back in. And in reality, what's going on? God is so deeply in love with us. He so badly wants us to repent, to come to our senses, to to live with God, that he puts in front of that garden a way so that these people, Adam and Eve, could not walk back into that garden, grab the fruit of life and immortality in themselves, and eating it, die in their sin forever. We don't like to speak this often, but this is the truth, that without God, you will live without God forever. It's called hell. It's apart from Him and all His goodness and all that you might enjoy. But for a period of time, there is this possibility from creation where you were created with God, and now as sin enters in and you begin to learn, in fact, all of a step without God, and at some point that without Godness has to once again invite God with into our lives. And so the whole Old Testament and New Testament, you can read through it, and you see this, this with God story. Just even a little bit further into Genesis, Genesis chapter 5.24, you see this theme. Enoch walked with God and then was no more because God took him away. Can you imagine? He's 300 and some years. He's going, you know, you've lived long enough. Let's just one day. Can you, Enoch goes back to his family. He goes, you know what? I was talking to God the other day. We were, we were kind of, you know, as we had breakfast together, as on a walk, he said to me, you're not coming back. Just tell them that you're going right to heaven. So, he walks with God and translates. I mean, I don't know what the story was like. We read just a little bit further, 6 9 of, of Genesis. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. The heart of God has always been that you would be with Him. And so as you read through the stories of the Bible, you find that God comes to a person named Abraham, calls Abraham, because through Abraham he wants to be with Abraham to bless the whole world. And so he takes Abraham and he takes a family, Abraham and his family, and he begins to do the with God life. And then a little bit later as you go on, there's a point where God says, I need to expand this to more than just your family. And so he comes to Moses and they're in this place of bondage. And he says, you know, I really want to bring you into the fullness of my presence. There's a promised land that I told you about that will be with me. And so he says to Moses, I want to do that. And Moses, without God, goes and kills this Egyptian. And he runs away for 40 years and all of a sudden comes back because God calls him into this with God life. And Moses takes a nation with God. And I could go through, I did in fact in my notes, I don't have time to go through all the different books of the Bible. You can see the with God theme through it. And then he takes a man named David and he takes David and says, David, it's not just 
It's not just about a family and a nation. It's about all the nations of the world. It's about a kingdom that I want to bring that will rule over every heart throughout the world. And so he takes David and he builds this physical kingdom and makes it um, a, a symbolic thing through Solomon who spreads his kingdom throughout the world because he knew that at some point the rightful king would come. In fact, if you read about Jesus being born, what's the name he's given? The name Emmanuel means what? God what? With us. And God kind of goes, you know what? I had to remove you from the garden, but I'm going to go out where you're at. I'm going to go out to where I placed you. I'm going to go there to live with you. And I'm going to live with you for a while because I'm going to show you who I am in all my glory. I'm going to show you how much you need me. I'm going to show you that your sin separates you from me. And I'm going to take care of your sin. And I'm going to, through Jesus, as he lives with you, this Emmanuel God with us, he's going to go on a cross. And on a cross, he's going to breathe his final breath. And on that cross, he's going to take care of sin. And on that cross, when he breathes his final breath, he's going to say, It's done. Anyone who would just open their hearts and be honest with themselves and, and recognize their need that they, that they can live with God. I take, you know what's so cool about this is the sin thing is that we're also worried about. You know what? You, according to what Jesus has to say, are forgiven. And once you're forgiven, that's the big deal. And he basically goes back to heaven at the right hand to rest. Not that he's just resting, taking a nap. Now he's sending his Holy Spirit. Can you imagine talking to his disciples? There you are. Jesus is with you. He's doing all these kinds of miracles. And he, he looks them in the eyes and he says, you know what? Someday it's going to be really for your good that I leave so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. And they're going, what? Leave? We really like walking around with you. Because the whole purpose was this. The only way you could have the with God life was he didn't want to live in a temple in Jerusalem in a place built of stone. He wanted to live in the temple of your heart. And the with God life is about his story throughout the whole Bible so that he comes and he lives in your heart. And Acts shows how the Spirit comes in his fullness and, and comes into the people's hearts and into a community's heart. And this community heart to the rest of the New Testament shows how you live with God and with one another and you spread this with God life to everyone. So you come to the book of Revelation and we find in Revelation he says, as you go through trials and troubles, you can always know that at the end, the very end, the very end, this sin which I've taken care of on the cross, which still stains your life through this life which we experience, will someday be gone and you'll be with God, what? Forever. So, to live the with God life, you need to choose to become a part of this bigger story, His story. You need to make a decision. Maybe you've never made this before. That you're through living the without God life. You, you may have been led here by the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks. And maybe for the first time in your life you're here and the Holy Spirit's just kind of tugging on your heart. And you know you've been without God. And God says, guess what? I want to live within you. All you need to do is this. You need to, let, you need to basically invite me into your story. It's about inviting God's story into your story. It's what you see happen all the time in the life of Jesus. Jesus at, at one point would, would say in John 10, 10, I, I think this is really interesting. He would say throughout his life, I only do what the Father um, reveals. I, only, um, I, I, I see what the Father sees and I do it. And he, he has all these things that's all about what the Father tells me to do. And then all of a sudden in John 10, 17, he goes, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I, have it, and I take it back again. And no one can kill me without my consent. I lay down my life voluntarily. He's basically saying, I'm the author of my life, guys. Uh, wait a second, I thought the Father was the author of life. Which one is it going to be? 
For I have the right and the power, the authority to lay it down. And when I want to, I also have the right and the power to take it again. Every one of you are authors of your life. You have the right and authority. God's given it to you to write your own story. But what's really interesting about Jesus is He's always seeking to live His story into the life story of God His Father. So then when He comes to the garden, He's sweating blood. What's He sweating blood for? Because He's going, Father, I know I want to author every one of my steps with you as the master author. I want my story, particular story, to fit well into your story so that it can be all that it's supposed to be. But you know what? The next few pages I'm not really crazy about. You ever felt that? You might be right there right now. I mean, I'm not really crazy about these next few pages. I'm not crazy about these. I mean, you may be in the last years of your life and feeling some physical illness and some stress. I'm not crazy about this. Or you may be in a place right now where you're facing a challenge at work that's really difficult. And you know you need to do what you're supposed to do, but it's the hard thing. And, and I'm not crazy, but the whole thing of this book is learning to live the with God life. So that what happens is there are times, critical moments in your life where you kind of bend your knee and you say, God, in a sense, you're sweating blood and saying, God, I'm, I'm going to walk into this with you. Because I've chosen for you to take the pen of my life. I'm authoring it with you. There's no conflict here. Now, what I find is interesting is Every once in a while in our culture, someone writes something and it just hits the nerve of people. It just resonates with their heart, right? There's an author who wrote something not long ago. And the very first paragraph, I think, is what sold the book. It just got people into it. And you'll know it when I read it. Many of you will. It became an instant bestseller. In fact, according to Publishers um, Weekly, it's the best-selling nonfiction hardback book in history. Over 30 million copies have been sold worldwide. Do you know a New York Times bestseller? Do you know how many books you have to sell for a New York Times bestseller? Anybody want to guess? 5,000. That's it. It's crazy. Between five to 10,000 books, all you got to sell. So if you want to write a bestseller, you don't need, you know, sell it, just buy it and give it to a bunch. Five, buy 5,000, give it to a bunch of friends. That's why you see all these New York all these bestsellers. Here's the striking first words of the first paragraph of this book. And the very first sentence. It's not about you. Name that book. Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren. It's about this. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, he says, your peace of mind or even your happiness. It's greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. Your life, if you're trying to figure it out, you're really wondering about your life, you must begin with God. And for some, it may be the first time in your life that you'll just go, I'm ready. And you, some of you might be here going, I still need to think about this. But I'm just going to tell you, don't think about it and let it go, because this is eternal stakes you're thinking about. And he says you were born by his purpose and for his purpose. That's where your life makes sense. So have you asked that simple question? Have you ever made that life-changing choice to invite God to be the author of your story?
You daily wake up. I, I really I mean this church family. Do you daily wake up and say, Jesus, this morning as I take my first waking breaths, take me and write your story through my story today. It's a daily thing. So here's what I want to share with you in conclusion. Just these three practical steps under this idea. In order to align your story with his story, you need to spend time with him in his word. It's, it's really pretty. To keep your story in line with his story, you need to spend time with God and his word. Here's where he shares so many of the stories that is his greater story. Practically, the first thing is this, to live with God and to live what I call this with God life, you need to spend some time with God daily in his word. You need to let the story, his story, make sense of your story. You need to come to it and allow him to inform your story with his story. You need to allow his word to provide direction in your story. I think it's interesting as I was through the years, as this has been an important thing that, that, that Jesus has taught me, and I realize you go, oh yeah, you got a seminary education, you went to you know, all this Bible classes, all this even. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, that, that helps, obviously, to have. But you know what? The Word of God isn't based on whether you have some kind of seminary education. The Word of God says it's inspired by the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has, if your heart is open, the ability to speak to you through His Word. So you don't need a seminary education. You can be the, the uh, slowest person in the world. There are all kinds of tools that you can get. There's all kinds of things, and I want to get into that right now, but I just want to tell you that if you really want to align your life with God, you need to spend time with God. And the reason I say that, and I'm going to just challenge some of our people in our own congregation here, if you're new and you're just kind of starting this out and you're just getting to the point where you're going, I'm just even thinking about him taking his pen and writing in my life. I'm thrilled you're there. Maybe what you need to do is start coming on a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday basis, or you need to get involved in, in saying, God, how can I get to know you more? But some of you who have been coming Sunday-by-Sunday, Sunday, I want to challenge you. If you really want your story to align with his story in such a way that it has, makes a powerful difference, it is really critically important that you don't just make Sunday mornings a kind of this time where you come and you go, okay, I heard from God, or I didn't, you know, I like this, I didn't like that. This is about meeting with God. And it's only really to help us as a community do this so that you will do this individually as well. And what if something happened we couldn't meet next week or for, people couldn't meet in this country? What would your life be like? And so I look at the life of Jesus, and if Jesus, if he was probably the... How many agree he might be the best of the best? Maybe better than Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, right? Yeah, I think way out there, right? Listen to his life. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then you don't realize the backstory there, but the night before, it was the Sabbath. He was in church all day, came home at evening. And that evening, they said the whole town came to the door of Peter's mother-in-law. And at the door, Jesus spent the whole night healing people, probably late into the night. But it says right here, he wasn't kind of going, oh, Father, man, whoa, what a big day for you yesterday. I'm just so exhausted. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus pulled himself up by the bootstraps, got out, and got alone and met with his father. 
Luke 4.42. And Luke is the best one. Go through Luke. I'll give you these verses. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. People were looking for him. They're trying to keep him from leaving. They had plans for Jesus, but Jesus wanted to get with the Father to find out what his plan was. A lot of good plans out there, but the best plans come when you hear the Word of God and you hear the Word of God speaking the voice of God into your heart. Luke 5, 15 and 16. Yet the news about Him was spreading all the more. Crowds of people were coming. It was really easy when you get into crowds not hear real well. So it says they tried, they, that Jesus often would then withdrew to lonely places where He would talk to His Father. Imagine the pressure on Jesus to conform. Here would be Jesus, and they would just say to him something like, Jesus, this is so cool. You did all these miracles last night. We want to build the healing center right here. And Jesus goes to the Father and says, Father, i got a feeling they're going to come and do this. What do you want me to do? And the Father says, I want you to go from town to town to tell more people about me. And so he says to him, I, I love the offer, but I'm not going to do it. Just think how many times, imagine just how many times people would come to Jesus, and they would say, Jesus, you know, his disciples, his closest disciples, you know, really pragmatic Peter would come to him and say, you know, Jesus, the message, it just shifted a bit. I mean, simple things we can do. Just tell the rest of the disciples not to eat grain when they're walking through the field. Another simple thing you can do is just, you know, what's the big deal to wash your hands ceremonially when you walk into the house of that Pharisee? Or Jesus, you know, if you just tweaked your message a little bit here, and, and you would just kind of refine what you're doing a little bit and, and heal the guy after the service, the next day. Take his name. You'd have the Pharisees, Sadducees, you'd have the whole group, everyone would be on your side and it would be rah, rah, on the way to build the kingdom. And Jesus said, that's not the kingdom I came to build. And how could he do that? Because he spent time talking to his dad. 6.12 of Luke. Jesus went out into the hills to pray. Spent the night praying to God. Church, those of you who say you want the story of God written into your life, this is essential. It is time for us to become self-feeders growing up in His Word. 9.18, once when Jesus was praying in private, His disciples were asked, He asked the disciples a question. 9.28, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him and, I went, and they went up onto the mountain to pray. 11.1 of Luke, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, his disciples said, there is something about what you're doing that really is making a difference in the mission that you have. And Jesus goes, yeah, let me teach you how to do this. And you go all the way to 22.39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him, and reaching the place, he set them praying, and he withdrew about a stone's throw behind them and knelt down and prayed. See, to live with God, to live what I call this with God life, which is what this book is all about, you need to spend time with God and His Word. Jesus was known by His habits. No different than who any of us are. Every day he spent time alone with his father. Everyone around him knew this was his personal custom. When people would wake up and they'd look for Jesus, they'd go, where's Jesus? And they'd go, oh yeah, he's out in the hills, he's talking to Dad. People knew Jesus by the things he was accustomed to doing on a daily basis because he was consistent. Everyone knew it. And that, folks, is what made him so trustworthy. I was, um, as a student, I went to Urbana. This is kind of this place where they talked about missions when I was years ago, in the early 1900s. No. Um, and I went to Urbana, and, and this, one of the speakers was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham... Uh, 
before he spoke, they said, could we just do an interview with you? And they just asked him one question. They said, Billy Graham, you're known for the power that you have and the way that you preach, for the sense of the presence of the Spirit of God on you, how he seems to just really guide your steps. Could you just tell us what makes, what's made the difference? Just what's the one thing that you would say has made all the difference in your life? And he looked at the whole group of us and just said, here's what's the difference. He said, before I have breakfast in the morning, before I take a shower, before I read the paper, the first thing I do is spend time with God. You see, if you spend time with God, he will begin to align your story with his story on a daily basis. How many are going to get your car tuned this year? How many have gotten it tuned already? I will see the real early birds here. Not a lot. Okay. One of the reasons you spend time with God, not just weekly, but once a day, if you can begin to build that consistent habit in your life, is because daily it tunes your heart back into the presence of God. I'm just going to leave it there, and we're going to take some time just to let God speak to our heart and let Joel just lead us in that.